Hey, before we begin, I want to let you know about a new show from Curious Cast that I think you might be into. It's called Russia Rising. Putin's Russia has been accused of using internet trolls, hackers, and even assassins to influence the West. This new investigative podcast hopes to unravel the giant mystery that is Russia with the help of those who know her best. Russian trolls, hackers, Putin supporters, and even a former KGB spy. Join Global News Europe Bureau Chief Jeff Semple on a journey to find out how Russia has gone from tenuous ally to a potential global threat. Listen to Russia Rising for free at CuriousCast.ca or wherever you're enjoying This Is Why. It's been 30 years since the fall of the Berlin Wall. I'm Peter Jennings in New York just a short while ago. Astonishing news from East Germany, where the East German authorities have said, in essence, that the Berlin Wall doesn't mean anything anymore. It is perhaps the most important announcement made in Central Europe since the end of World War II, certainly since the wall went up in 1961. And I still got a piece of the wall because we all rented uh, sledgehammers and we got a chance to swing at the wall and to keep pieces of it. I got a big chunk of it in my house still to this day. Both the existence of that divide and then the destruction of it captured the world's attention. And it was uh, it was something I'll never forget. I'm Nikki Reitmeyer, and this is why. The forces of Germany have surrendered to the United Nations. The flags of freedom fly all over Europe. The white flag of surrender flies all along the battle-torn route as our fast-moving armies sweep to a junction with the Russians. German medical units handle casualties as captured Folkstrom troops swell the total of a million prisoners. As the Yanks arrive, civilians turn out to wonder at the fate that awaits a conquered nation. At the end of the war, Germany was split up into four zones. One zone for France, one zone for the UK, one zone for the United States, and one zone for the Soviet Union. If you were to then zoom in on the map of Germany even further, you'd find that, like an island, Berlin was once again divided into four zones. Zones held by the Western Allies formed West Berlin, and the zone held by the Soviets became East Berlin. Initially, residents of Berlin could move fairly freely from west to east and from east to west, but by no means was there perfect harmony. At this time, of course, tensions were rising between the U.S. and the USSR. Over the course of a decade or so, 3.6 million people living in East Berlin fled to the west. Negotiations and summits between the powers that controlled Berlin would come and go without any resolution. By the summer of 1961, people were leaving East Berlin by the thousands. So in the overnight hours, one August evening, the Soviets decided to close the border for good. In the middle of the night, they laid out barbed wire and began to establish the wall. As the communist barrier between East and West Berlin grows higher and stronger, the more determined grows the will of those in the East to escape. Along the border, East Berliners are forced to evacuate their homes as the communist police move to prevent their escape. Since the Khrushchev announcement that he would sign a separate peace treaty with East Germany, 
The flow of those seeking asylum here on the fringe of freedom has reached 1,500 a day. But from now on, crossings into free Berlin will be fugitive affairs. No sooner did one group fly to safety from West Berlin than others would arrive to take their place, leaving most of their possessions behind them and taking the one choice they cherished most, the desire for freedom. The Russians have told their people that the border was closed to prevent the infiltration of agents from the West. Never a word about those who fled to the arms of freedom, fled from the rule of guns and tanks that cast ominous shadows on the red side of freedom's border. can capture but a few isolated instances of these heroic escapes, but enough to present a remarkable document of our time. Remember, these people are risking their very lives to taste something we too often take for granted, liberty. Still in my memory, I can see them all. I can, I, I know how often I was uh, so close by, like 20 centimeters or so, swimming in the summer in one of those lakes where that was divided by east and west. And you could hear uh, the megaphones of the, of the border control people from the east. You are now passing the border, swim back, those kind of things. Kurt Hoopner is a professor in the poli-sci department at the University of British Columbia. And he's a part of the Institute of European Studies. I decided to start my conversation with Kurt on the morning of August 14th, 1961. What did Berliners wake up to that morning? And when they woke up uh, with a wall, something uh, that the former uh, government of the TDR was erecting in a kind of night action in order to secure uh, their own nation state in their economy. There was the feeling on their side that too many people are using the kind of open border and are leading at this kind of modern terms to the brain drain and all the kind of economic and security aspects. And rather than offering that is an attractive social model in the TDR, they said, okay, now we shut the whole thing down and uh, the wall was there. That must have been so confusing for people and, and frightening as well. Uh, this was definitely a very frightening experience when this was before my time. Uh, I lived uh, later on uh, for 20 years in Berlin uh, under times of when the wall was still there. And even then, it was reflecting. You could see, when you, were, you, you felt a bit trapped in many respects. You couldn't move. Uh, but in the time, 1961, obviously, a lot of people living in Western Berlin had their jobs in the East. And all of a sudden, they couldn't go to their work any longer and the other way around. So it was confusion. They're also pretty clear that's the kind of uh, one of the high moments of the Cold War at the time. The Soviet Union said they built the wall to keep out Western spies and fascists. Seemed more likely, though, in reality, the wall had been built to keep East Germans from flooding into the West. With the sides separated, different cultures began to emerge. Professor Hoopner explained those differences can still be seen today. Even though if you visit Berlin, it's now a united city, uh, and uh, let us say you're moving beyond the center, the Neue Mitte, how it's called, where all the museums are and so on, then out of a sudden you're really back in eastern Germany. Uh, it's starting from the houses, but also the kind of people living there. So there is still this kind of separation. 
this sentiment that uh, we see starting latest in 1961, we see the, the, the emergence, the growth of two forms of German identities. One man who witnessed those different Germanies in a very unique way is Bruce Allen. Bruce is the longtime music manager to Brian Adams, Michael Bublé, and a whole bunch of other artists. He told me what it was like back in the 80s, traveling to East Germany while on tour with Brian Adams. We did play some shows in the Eastern Bloc. So we would go to Checkpoint Charlie, get our stuff through, go over to Leipzig or Mannheim, play some shows there. Berlin, when the wall was up, was a model city. And it drove the East Germans nuts because they would sit there on the other side of the wall in this dark. We, everywhere, every time we were over there, it was dark. The street lights barely worked, no, no lights on in the houses. It was dark, dark, dark all the time. And they would hear all this fun coming from Berlin, and they, they, they amped it up there. So it would drive them crazy listening to what's going on in, in West Berlin while they're sitting there in East Berlin in this dreary circumstances. Meanwhile, you know, you could hear the music. You could hear, you know, they had rides going up in the Ferris wheels and stuff like that up high so they could see people having a great time. And they really pushed it. It, become a re- it became the model city for Germany. And I think that had a lot to do with the reason the wall came down. I mean, they, the Germans, East Germans just weren't going to take it anymore. It was just like torture. It's like when you were in Alcatraz prison, you know, people always said you could hear San Francisco. Well, that's a drag when you're in a cell. So I think the Germans, the East Germans, they just got sick of it. And I think they put the pressure on, you know, you know, let's get this wall down, which, of course, Reagan was up there, too, saying to tear down this wall. Behind me stands a wall that encircles the free sectors of this city, part of a vast system of barriers that divides the entire continent of Europe. General Secretary Gorbachev, if you seek peace, if you seek prosperity for the Soviet Union and Eastern Europe, if you seek liberalization, Come here to this gate. Mr. Gorbachev, open this gate. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Two years and three months after U.S. President Ronald Reagan made that now famous speech at the Brandenburg Gate, the East German government stunned the world when they finally decided to allow travel between the East and West. Weeks of civil unrest led to that monumental moment. For 10,316 days, East and West Germans had been kept apart. But on November 9th, 1989, the wall began to come down. Astonishing news from East Germany, where the East German authorities have said, in essence, that the Berlin Wall doesn't mean anything anymore. From the Berlin Wall specifically, take a look at them. They've been there since last night. They are here in the thousands. They are here in the tens of thousands. Occasionally they shout, Die Mauer muss weg, the wall must go. Thousands and thousands of West Germans come to make the point that the wall has suddenly become irrelevant something, as you can see, almost a party on. How do you measure such an astonishing moment in history? Thousands of East Germans came across the border today, perhaps more than 100,000, so many that border police lost count. And at every border crossing, thousands of West Germans there to say, welcome. Such an astonishing moment in history. Now, what's it feel like to be standing on top of the wall? 
incredible for me. It's uh, I can't uh, describe really the, my feelings. It's uh, something unreal for me. If if there is someone who who sleeps for eight weeks and you told him what happened here, he thinks you are crazy. It's it's unthinkable. And of course, the wall came down, and. We got involved in a concert. This site, right next to the Berlin Wall between East and West Berlin, is where Roger Waters, a founder member of Pink Floyd, will perform the classic work, The Wall, to raise money for the Memorial Fund for Disaster Relief. Waters will bring a cast of some of the world's top stars to perform in Berlin's Potsdamer Platz in the shadow of the Brandenburg Gate. And 450,000 people showed up. And that was an amazing show. They did the whole, the wall, record that was done by Pink Floyd that we performed the whole thing with different people taking different songs and uh, there was, the band was there, Van Morrison, Sinead O'Connor, let me think, uh, Sidney Lauper, the Scorpions rock band, Marianne Faithful, Joni Mitchell, Brian and Brian I remember he did that song Comfortably Numb. It was a tremendous event and, and while they were doing that of course they were building up the wall and then tearing down the wall and when by the time the show was over the wall was down. That's the way they did it but 450,000 people was quite an amazing thing and we played right in that no, it was the no-go zone between the two walls. There's actually two walls between, there's a place where the East Germans had their uh, towers and that set up like a penitentiary and then on the other side the West West Germany was the same thing and people of course some as you know tried to get over the wall and try and get to the other side so it was a very interesting time and it was really a thrill to be on that wall record and it did very well and that was one of the first times Roger Waters really performed it under those conditions which made it even more more memorable. Looking back before that concert and before the wall came down, when you were with Brian Adams playing shows in East Berlin, what were the crowds like there? I am just imagining that they must have gone crazy. Just the crowd atmosphere must have been electric. No, it isn't. It isn't because they were beaten down. Okay, so... Yes, you got a plight applause. Now, I you can flash forward to like earlier this year. Both my acts are over there, and, and Michael will feel it tonight. There's a way they react differently. It's much like going to a, a symphony and people, you know, clap, 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 really? clap, 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 stop. Then as it gets longer, more into the show, and they, they feel, they, they can feel the whole thing loosen up. It's up to the act, though, to do that, to loosen them up. And Michael, of course, is very good. He, he works on a ramp in the middle of the audience. He starts talking to them, and they start, they start to buy in. But they're not like the West Germans who are right into it right away. And, and, and Brian's the same way. They notice that the audience is a little bit different because they've been, they've been, They've been brought up that way, okay, you, to to not show that much emotion. So it's it throws some acts off. Younger performers, I mean, I know Michael when he first went there, whoa, he really had to work to get to him. He got to him, and they were really appreciative. But they do not show that in the same way as they do in West Berlin, even to this day, to a certain extent. Here we are now, thirty years after the fall of the Berlin Wall. When you think back on that period of time, are there any other really special memories that stand out? Well, the big one was, of course, always going through Checkpoint Charlie, because that's how we got in there. And I remember, you know, you had to go into the inside, and they went through everything you had, and looked in your truck, and looked in your cars, and, you know, had mirrors going underneath the cars, and so on and so forth. That was always something, because they could, they could at any time say no. 
They could at any time say no. So it was yes, sir, no, sir, three bags full, sir, from our side. We just nodded our head, everything they wanted, they got, and we got in there. The other one that was really weird is when I, we decided after, after we played the ball show that my agent and I would go and try and get our money out of the bank. We, uh, we had to put our money. We couldn't take our money out, Eastern Marks. They were no good for us to take out of there anyway. So we had to put them in a bank in, uh, in East Germany. So we left them in a bank in East Germany. We had an account. Then we got called in to do a show when the wall was starting to come down in, um, in, in 1989. And we did a show on either side of the wall that night. We did one show in East Berlin, one show in West Berlin, back-to-back on a weekend. And uh, all the West Berliners came, and East Berliners came, and they, all our money from East Berlin went back into the same bank. So we weren't getting paid on <laughs> one day, but we, we thought we had some money there. We would come back and get it. And then the wall... Then the next thing happened, of course, the wall came down. So we had to go find a bank again, and we found the bank, and it was like yeah, it was like a three-story walk-up building to up to the top to get a bank, and we had our deposit slips and stuff like that to take it out because you couldn't take it out before. And at that time, they then converted it. When, it, when everything got back together, they converted the East Marks to the German Mark, and we got our money, and it, must, it sat there probably, I guess, for two and a half, two, two to three years. And we didn't get any interest. Our never looked, but I mean, <laughs> that was my next question. Did, did it? Did it? Did you get any interest off that? <laughs> you know, I, I'm going to go back and ask that question. I, I, I would doubt it, Nikki. I don't think so. I think we were just happy to get our money changed. But it was kind of neat because it was, it was some little little place. I mean, a little like a wooden building. Walk up the stairs to this place, and a the, small, small bank. You know, government run at that, that time, and a government office, and uh, two or three people working there that you could see, and gave our slips, and they got the money. And, you know, I know Carl, our agent, had called in ahead of time some we were coming to just make sure they had some money. But um, yeah, it, it was it was really interesting. I still got a piece of the wall because we all got we all rented uh, sledgehammers on the day of the show, the big wall show, and we got a chance to swing at the wall and to keep pieces of it. I got a big chunk of it in my house still to this day, as does Brian and and most of the guys in the band. You know, you paid so much money for a sledgehammer, rented it for ten minutes to smash away at it, and uh, knock down your piece, pick it up, and there's your sledgehammer back, and off you went. And it was uh, it was something I'll never forget. This is Why is produced by John O'Dowd and me, Nikki Reitmeyer. I want to say a big special thanks to Bruce Allen for sharing some pretty cool memories with us. This is Why is a national radio show and a podcast. You can download, subscribe, or listen online. Give us a rating and a review. If you'd like, you can also send us an email. This is why at curiouscast.ca. Thanks for listening, and I'll talk to you next week.